This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, welcome to the qualification meeting. I am a food addict from California, and I am your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So, I'm from California, and I'm really happy to be here. I am definitely a food addict, definitely qualify as a food addict, and I will um, tell you a little bit about myself, what it was like, and what it's like now. I come from Massachusetts originally. I, I now live, I've been in California for about 35 years and um, originally from a small New England town. And food was my primary drug. Um, I, I ran from myself by eating food. I would always, like was always looking for something out there further beyond me. And um, my head was always spinning. I was a very unhappy child. I didn't think I fit in anywhere I went. I didn't fit in my family. Um, I thought I was adopted. Um, I remember my mom showing me my birth certificate, and I still didn't believe it. And I looked just like my mom, but I thought she just, you know, picked a good, a good kid, you know, that looks like her. But I just was so different from my family. And sitting with all that unease and that sensitivity and that um, just not feeling a part of, I had, to, I had to do something. I had to take myself outside of myself because the feelings were so strong. I chased food because I ran from my fear, from my insecurity. I ran from not knowing how to live in the world. And so food was something that sedated me and kept me comfortable. Um, I come from a family of, there's six of us, I have five siblings, um, four sisters and a brother, and um, I just, I just, everyone else seemed to be normal, and I always felt like I wasn't, I didn't fit in, what, what's wrong with me? Um, I remember having that first taste of food, you know, that I felt that, that peace and that calm. I was very sensitive. I still am a very sensitive person, but it doesn't show up like it used to. And I was very sensitive. And when I ate, I felt better. I remember distinctly having that feeling of this, this is the solution. This is the solution to my problem. When I have a feeling, I'll eat. So I did a lot of eating out of, out of emotions. And um, I was not a big child. Um, I was, I did a lot of sports and a lot of athletic things and um, so I didn't show, my weight didn't show up but I was always seeking food. My dad was a merchant seaman and he was gone a lot 
and my mom was you know was taking care of the six of us and I used to have the opportunity of going shopping with my mom and I would do it because I wanted to get the food that I wanted and I knew that if I went I could get everything I wanted I knew I could strategically line it up on the um, conveyor belt where most of what I wanted would go into one bag because my mom did shop and one was once a month when my dad would send money home and so it was this big grocery shopping and I, I would I remember keeping my eye on that bag uh, so that when I get home I know just where to go to get what I need and I don't have to wait for my mom to put everything up like that bag stayed near me and once I got that you know I was satisfied once I got that feeling of okay I can be in the world now it was like I felt without the food I felt naked and the food was the, the symptom it wasn't it was a solution to my problem my problem was I just didn't know how to be in the world I didn't know how to live life and I didn't feel comfortable doing it so I would do the shopping with my mom um, often to get what I wanted and my mom was never the type that would say you know monitor the food and say you can only have this much you can have that much she would bring it home put it out and say here it is you know when it's gone it's gone you know and there therein started my worry because now I'm worrying about my other sibs getting it before me I'm worried about there's not going to be enough for me I'm worried about um, who's going to get the last and how am I going to make that happen and um, so I would stay like close to the house when they were you know because like the end of the month we like ate whatever we could until the check came again but when that food was there I would stay around the house because I I had to have it and I didn't know what the feeling was going to be like if I didn't get the last of it so I would stay around the house and my mom was you know a good cook um, having six of us and uh, my baby sister um, had uh, ment uh, mental development problems and so my mom spent a lot of time focusing on her um, and so we didn't get the attention or at least I didn't get the attention that I needed and I knew that the food gave me that comfort so when I would spend the time eating I would feel safe you know I would feel taken care of through the food uh, so we would eat, you know, whatever it was. I was always lurking. I was always trying to get, making sure no one was getting before me. And any other time when there was no food, I was gone. Like I used to be all over the town, running around, doing things. And when it came time for dinner, my mother served dinner at a certain time. We, it wasn't like you can come in and eat whatever there. It was like dinner was at this specific time. You ate dishes got done floor got swept and lights were out and that was it and I couldn't not think of not having that dinner so I would stay around the house for that meal I had an aunt that used to serve her serve her dinner with her family later than mine and I used to tell my mom why can't we eat like that why don't and my mom used to say no that's not how I do it in my house but then I got this brilliant idea that I can eat at home and then I can go over Auntie Jenny's and have another dinner there and I thought that was brilliant you know I didn't of course wasn't aware of having a problem with food I just I knew that it helped me and I wanted it so I would go over Aunt Jenny's and eat dinner and they knew because they knew you know how my mom was how she was running her household so when I would get there they would like 
tease me and call me greedy and I didn't care. You know, I, as long as I got my food, it's like, you can say what you want. I just show me where the food is, you know, and it never bothered me. I was not the type to run around and go to different stores because I'm, I'm shameful of being at that store so many times and, and getting food. I, I just, I didn't think like that. I just thought I need this. I got to have it. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, my siblings were, I, I don't know, they didn't seem to be into the food as much as I was. I was known, and that was the way I got attention, too, because my mom would always say, you know, she'll eat it all. She's the one that, she she's not fussy. She's not picky. She'll eat it all. And so I, that's how I got attention and recognition. So, And I don't even know if I liked everything that was served, but because I got acknowledged and I felt special and different than everyone else, um, I would always make sure that I ate my food and everybody else's food to show my mom how appreciative I am of the food. What I know now is that I was feeding that, that desire to eat, um, and I did that for a long time. I, I, left, I left the little town that I lived in and moved to a, a bigger town because the town just got too small for me. I figured, like, everybody knows too much about me, and they, they know my business, and it's time for me to move on. And, and I also want to say that um, along with all the worry, I had uh, my two youngest sisters. Um, I, I was the second oldest. I am the second oldest. And I felt like it was my responsibility to take care of my siblings because my sister, my oldest sister, was, like, not going to do it. She was not taking that responsibility. She made it very clear, and I felt like that was my job. And I was always fearful that I was going to fail at that job, that something was going to happen to my siblings, and it's going to be my fault. And so for me to be in the world with that much intensity, I knew that I had to do something. I remember I used to go looking for my siblings if they weren't home and knocking at people's door and crying and and when I would get them, I'd want to beat them up. I was so happy I found them, you know, and, and I could relax then. So it was always, always tension. I was always tense. And, and you know, my, my baby sister, um, I took care of her, and I was, I was so, uh, what's the word I want? I was so defensive of her. Um, that when people would look at her uh, because of her disabilities, I would be angry and upset and and hurt and so I would you know take her in and take care of her and then at some point my mom had to put her in, in a, a school for um, mentally ill children and that was very painful for me because um, I felt like she was taken away from me and I felt like I wasn't doing my job because if I did a good job she could stay there and um, and that didn't happen so I felt like it was my fault which brought me more into the food um, and and took me more away from my family. So because I started isolating from my family, isolating in the food, I got married when I was 15 years old. Um, and when I was 16, I had two children. And um, I remember my mom um, did not, of course, she did not want me to get married. I was adamant. I was pregnant. I wanted to get married. And she let, you know, she, at that time, I, being 15, I had to get permission from a judge and from my parents. Um, so while I wanted to get married, I couldn't understand why my parents would, would let me get married. 
if that makes any sense. It's like, how could they do this to me? And and they're giving me what I want, you know, what is that? So it, it's, it, it's always been complicated and, you know, 16 years old, I'm sitting with two children, didn't know how to be a parent, um, didn't know how to take care of myself, never mind my children. And it was really a downhill process from then. Um, I started seeking men, um, just that comfort. You know, the food stopped working the way it was working in the beginning, and I had to go to uh, something else. And so I started seeking out men and, and got involved in a lot of different different things that um, has cost me a lot of a big portion of my life. I, I was um, incarcerated for a long period of time and um, taken away from my children and my, my mother-in-law raised them. Um, and that was very painful. It was very painful to have to live that life. And while I was incarcerated, only, the only thing that was there to take that feeling away was the food. And um, I would just delve into it because I did not want to feel. I thought if I felt that I would die. I actually believed that if I allowed myself to have feelings, that I'm going to die. And so whatever it was to take me away from having those feelings was where I would be. And so so I did, you know, my, my time in incarceration here in Massachusetts and um, got my children back, you know, as soon as I got out. And, you know, I was so grateful for my mother-in-law um, that she was willing to give them back to me. And, you know, I never once thanked her. I never even thought, it wasn't like I'm not going to purposely thank her. I just never, that never occurred to me that I should thank this woman for what the gift she's given me. And the reason why I'm saying this is, and, and I'll get to it later, but it, I end up, I'm ending up giving a gift similar to what my mother-in-law has given to me. Um, and so I got my children there again, still didn't know how to be a parent. You know, just we grew up together is, is what happened. My children and I grew up together. But I always had something. There was always something in my body, something taking me outside of myself, something to try to. And I never was comfortable. Even when I was doing what I was doing, I wasn't comfortable. But I had the, um, I was looking for something that was going to take it off, take that edge off, you know. Um, I think food was my first antidepressant, you know. It was like, this is going to help me to be able to be in the world, as uncomfortable as I was. So I continued to, to eat, to try to raise my two children. Um, my mom was not, you know, my mom was, a, you made your bed, you lie in it, and that's your choice, and you have to live with it. And so she wasn't, Real, and she was still raising, you know, the last two of her children, so she wasn't able to, to be there for me in that way. Um, it was very difficult. It was a very, um, a very hard life um, that I just didn't know how to get out of it. I never thought happiness would be a part of my life. I never thought that I would live a life of not putting anything in my body. Like, I, I just couldn't conceive that happening. I remember when my children used to come and visit me 
And when they would leave, I just thought I was going to die. And I would run to the food. I would run to eating so that I can stuff that feeling. And I would still have them, but I, I thought that they weren't as bad if I, if I didn't have the food. So um, I, I was incarcerated for seven years. And um, when I got out, I continued to just try to do life. I um, I did get some skills there. <laughs> I did learn how to um, to type. You know, I, I spent a lot of time typing. I was really like I don't know, 85, 90 words a minute. Like you know, that's all I had. That's all I could do. And so, but it, it got me a job. You know, I got out and I got a job. And um, I was working in a, um, in Boston in a housing development, and um, I started to get a little glimmer of hope, but I didn't think that it was going to get better than that. You know, I saw some change. My life did get better, but I, I didn't think it'd be better than that. So I, I came to California, and um, I came here with the hopes that I would find another life, that I would something else would happen. I was the one that, I, my, I often say that my first drug of choice was fantasizing. You know, I often fantasized. I remember when we were kids, I, we had a swing set in the backyard, and I would swing on that swing set and just pump as high as I can and fantasize this other life. And, and I was really, you know, seven, eight years old, and I was fantasizing another life. You know, and so that's where I got, I was able to get away and see that things could get better. There's a possibility, but when I got to that level of getting a job, I thought, this is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. And I came to California, and there was a lot of um, uh, political stuff happening at that time. I didn't come to live. I came to visit, and I fell in love with all that was happening in, in, in the town I'm in in California. And um, I wanted to, to come back. Um, so I went home, and I came back 10 years later. And none of that was happening. And I'm like, where are they? You know, and none of that was out there. And I'm like, well, I'm here. Let me settle in and start making a life. One of the things that... I think I was fortunate in is I had drive. Like I was like not going to let anybody keep me down. You know, I had that. This I'm going to I'm going to do something. So I I got jobs. I got you know relatively good jobs. And um, to for someone who I mean I didn't go to junior high school. You know, high school. Uh, um, I didn't go to high school. Junior high school was where I stopped. You know, have my my when I had my daughter. You, you couldn't go to school at that time and and be pregnant so I had to leave school and that was in junior high school and so but I, I I knew how to teach myself things I knew how to say what I needed to say to get over to get me where I needed to get and then I, I'm a quick learner I'll learn how to do it and that's what I did when I got here in California so I, I got some pretty good jobs but I was still chasing. I was chasing, you know, other things besides food. Um, I got caught up in, in a lot of other addictions. And um, I decided that I was going to drop the other addiction. I mean, it was after many, many years. Um, I stopped doing that, and um, the food continued. The food got even more because I dropped whatever the other things was that I was doing. And so the food became really prevalent. 
And um, I remember one day um, being at work, and this woman that I supervised was losing weight. And I was like, I, you know, I knew I'm international. I know I've done all the... I've done, I haven't done the fad diets, but I would do the ones that look like um, I'm eating healthy, but I'm hoping I'm going to lose weight. But I don't have to, see, if I tell you I'm on a diet, then you're going to expect me to lose weight. <laughs> but if I tell you I'm doing this, then, there, you know, there's not weight loss associated with it, but what a nice California healthy thing to do. <laughs> and so that's what I would do. It's like I'm doing this, this, and this. But I'm hoping that I'm going to lose weight. Always my ulterior motive was to lose weight. Um, but I disguised it with these different kinds of things that I would do. And, and I've often said that there was nothing wrong with all those different ways of doing it. Um, it just didn't work for me being the food addict that I am. And it was another place for me to hide. And so I, I did all those things. I'm hoping to lose weight. Sometime I did. Sometime I didn't. And I noticed um, I had I had international days of eating um, every day, like seven days a week. And you know, living in California, one day it was this international food. The next day, Monday was this. Tuesday was that. Like all these international foods, and they knew me well. You know, I go. That's all I would do was go to the um, restaurants. I didn't cook for a long period of time. Um, I just go to these restaurants and eat. And, that was my motivation. I was so depressed and so down that my motivation for getting up in the morning was, what am I going to get for breakfast? Like, that's going to excite me so that I can get up tomorrow to go out to get to work. And it didn't matter if I was late. It didn't matter. I was going to stop and get that breakfast. And I'd be getting the breakfast on the way to get the breakfast, and I'm already thinking, what am I going to have for lunch? You know, and then what am I going to have for dinner? And it's, and it's always restaurants. It's always spinning. They were my family. I would call there and order the food, and they would say, oh, hi, you know, and say my name. And, know, you know, and I'd be like, hi, you know, and it'd feel like, yeah, they know me, you know. And I had a relationship with the restaurants. And I'd go home, and most of the time I would take it to go because I didn't want people to see how I was eating. I didn't want people to think that I might have had some kind of relationship with food. So I'd take it home and I'd eat it. And, you know, sometimes it was enough for two or three people and, and they didn't know. I was never the kind to make them think I'm having a party or anything. Just, you know, give me my food and thank you very much. Here's your money. Um, so it never, it never bothered me to think what people might be thinking of me. And I, and it probably did, but I was so angry at the world myself that I, I didn't even want to think about those things. So I would stop and get my food and then I noticed a coworker was losing weight. And I thought, this is interesting because, you know, I'm international and she's losing weight. And um, I asked her what she was doing and she told me about F.A. And I looked on the website and I found it on the website and that's, that's where I had the hope. When I saw that it was a 12-step program, I got hope because I know 12-step programs work. I had been in another 12-step program and um, not used that, pro but that from that 12-step program to the day that I came in here. So I knew that this was a, a program of hope, and I knew that it worked. I wasn't 
sure that I was willing and I wasn't sure that, yeah, that I was willing. I, I don't know that I was willing, but I wanted to, I was tired. You know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was tired of the pain. I was tired of the losing and gaining. I was tired of, you know, food controlling my thoughts. You know, I was, I knew I was tired, but I didn't know if I could do whatever it called for. So I came, I went to a meeting and, um, right away I felt at home. You know, so I had hope when I saw it was a 12-step program and got here and, and felt like, yeah, this, this could be it. But I was doing a whole lot of other things, don't you know, and I'm too busy to, to do this and, and I'll come back, you know, one day. And, um, it didn't, it didn't work out that way, you know. I, that first meeting, I got my sponsor. And, um, I've been in the program ever since. You know, I never walked away. I've gotten so much. You know, I hear people say we got our life back. I never had a life. I never had a life. I got a life here. Um, I got, I got a higher power in my life. I got people that care about me. Um, I got friends. I got acquaintances. I got a lot of things that I, I never had. And so it didn't give me a life back. It gave me a life. Um, I have consequently, you know, having children at 15 and 16, I have grandchildren and I have great grandchildren. And, um, what a journey, you know, I can, and that's why I was saying what my mother-in-law did for me, I'm able to do for my great grandchildren. You know, I'm able to like play with them and, and really be in their lives and really care for them. Um, I bought a home last year, you know, and um, that's something I never thought that would happen. And the reason why I didn't think that would happen is because I just didn't think anything good could happen for me. You know, I just thought, yeah, that'll happen for you and you, and it would never happen for me. So I was always the type, as I hid in those certain types of ways of eating that I did, I hid in my fear of, I don't want to own a home. Why would I, who wants to own a home? Why would you want to own a home? You don't really own it. The bank owns it. And anyway, I like telling my landlord this broke down instead of having to fix it. So I found all the reasons that could be, you know, legitimate reasons to not buy a home, but it was really the fear. And that was the base of my life. The base of my life was fear. I was a very fearful child. And I was afraid that it couldn't happen. It couldn't happen for me. So um, it did. And and I limited myself. I remember looking at, I wanted to take in my granddaughter and her two children and help them. And I remember the first house I, and now, mind you, I went to look at a house with no money. I had no money. Um, one day I just said, I want a house. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And, and, uh, and I went and looked at this house, and they had a little um, man cave downstairs. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. My granddaughter and the kids could live here. And, you know, my higher power said, no, I got something better for you. And um, I got another So I looked at that house, and I looked at another one, and um, it had a cottage in the back, a separate cottage. And uh, like, this is even better. And I got that house, like... I put a bid in for that house and left, like 31 days later, I had the key to the house. 
Like, I just could not believe it when people were saying, oh, it'll be months, you'll go through all this. And it was not that way, and I can tell that was driven by my higher power. So I was able to give, my granddaughter doesn't live there anymore, but I was able to give back to them what my mother-in-law had given and done for me. And I'm able to do that for my family because I don't have to hide out behind, you know, the closed curtains. And I don't have to hide out in my room and eat. And I don't have to not be over their house for certain holidays because I don't want to keep eating all the food that's put out there. It's like they have seen my life change, you know. And and um, I have a, a son and a daughter, and they're, gee... My daughter's almost, I think next year she'll be 50. And, um, you know, they love me. They, they've seen my life transform. They've seen what this program has done for me. And I just, I didn't think it was possible. I, I really didn't. I thought that I was just going to trudge along life. Hopefully, every once in a while, I might get a windfall. Maybe something good will happen. Maybe not. But I'm going to always suffer. You know, I thought there was always going to be suffering in my life. And the food continued the suffering process for me. Once I was able to put the food down and start doing this program, and I was so grateful when my sponsor told me that I needed to go to three meetings a week. Like, I was like, yeah. I mean, it was not like I got this busy life where I can't do it. It was like I was so tired of going to work and going home and going to bed with my food and getting up in the morning and doing the same thing, that when I had some place to go, I was like, thank you. I'll be there three days a week. Like, I'm not even, I didn't even want to fight that. I couldn't even say that I was busy because that was not my story. You know, I, and I am a lazy food addict. And, you know, I just like, I didn't have friends. I had one friend, you know, um, and that was it. You know, so my life wasn't built around all these activities, and so I was grateful to be able to come to this, um, to come to, to FA three times a week. My mom, um, my mom and dad lived in Mexico for a while. My mom and dad are both, God bless them, they're both alive. They're both 89 years old, still married, and um, so there's five generations in my family. And um, I, my mom and dad was living in Mexico, and I remember we had a family reunion out there. This is before program, and I um, I went to this family reunion, and I try to control everybody's, I mean, everybody's life. Like, we all went to Mexico, like, to have this big family reunion, and I want to tell everybody what to do. And I, I believe the only reason why they let me be there is because I'm family, because I know they wanted to, like, she's got to go, because, you know, uh, yeah. And... Um, and I just tried to control everybody. It was horrible. It was a horrible time, and it was horrible for me. And my parents now live in Texas, and um, I went to visit um, one time. And I've been a couple of times, but I went to visit them one time. And my mom right away saw the difference in me. And she said to me, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, keep doing it. You know, keep doing it. And because she saw that there was an inside, things have changed inside for me. She saw that I was calmer and I was gentler. And the only reason why I could be that way is because you all were just a phone call away. Like when I felt it coming on, I could call. 
You know, I had someone to talk to. I didn't have to walk through it by myself. My mom was just really proud of me. And, and to add to that, the, um, the home I bought, my mom gave me the money to buy it. And um, I know there was a time she would not give me a dime. She was, no, she would not. She was like, no, I'm not going to give you my money because you're only going to throw it away. And she, when I told her, I want to buy this home, I said, I love my apartment, don't have to have it, but um, if you're willing to do that. And she said, yeah. She says, I want to give you, I want to see what you do with the money I have for you. And she gave me the money, and that was not the relationship we had. I talk to my mother constantly now. We have great conversations. And in the past, I used to just want to hang up. I never wanted to talk to her. It was always an argument. And now we're like, I am so much like her. It's unbelievable. And we have these great conversations. And she calls me and tells me things that she has not told any of my siblings because she trusts me. You know, and that all happened since I've been in this program. That did not happen before this. So I am grateful, you know, for the people that I've had in my life, the people that are in my life. I'm grateful for the love that I get here. I'm grateful for service. I um, I never thought about service or doing, you know, doing anything for anybody. Like I was so self-absorbed that I couldn't think of what can I do for you. It was like, what can you do for me? What can you give me? You know, and I came into this program and I did a little bit of service and it felt good. I got outside of myself and it felt good. And I continue to do that. You know, I love doing service. I love sponsoring. You know, I love being with people that, you know, we can talk and really get to the core of what's going on with us and not just the surface. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about this program. I have a job now. I, I'm actually a program director of a program of women um, substance users uh, who are coming into the program for looking, some for, for recovery, others not. But um, I'm working with people that, you know, are masters and, and, and PhDs and and they're talking to me and asking me questions about addiction, about looking at that side of it. And I've been working this for a long time. And, and I love the women that I work with. And, and I love, you know, my staff. It's all women staff and all women in the program. And we get to, um, to really, like, I get to really care about people. You know, I get to really care about people. And it's because I can care about myself now. In the past, I could not care about myself, so therefore I couldn't care about anyone else. So, yeah, I'm grateful for this program. I could never do enough for all this program has given me. Thank you. Would you please join me in a moment of silence and the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.